0: This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Founded about 15 of those after watching the selection show last night and my Scarlet Knights getting screwed and left out of the field of 68, but hey. Neither here nor there. Still going to be a great tournament nonetheless. But joining us now to help us break down the brackets, talk about the field, the seeds, the whole nine yards. My good pal, you see him on the field of 68. He's done games for ESPN, CBS Sports. He did the America East Championship Saturday, which I had on while I was on the air doing the show. It's our good buddy Terrence Oglesby. T.O., how we doing, bud? I'm doing great, man.
1: How you doing? I know you're hurting right now. I know you're hurting, but uh, my uh, alum, where I went to school, is, is hurting as well. It's true. And to be honest with you, I thought they got, I, thought they got, uh, I think the correct term is screwed. I'm just going to say that one. They got screwed. They should be in the tournament. Rutgers. I don't know how many Big Ten teams you can actually have in the tournament, so you have to you you have to elaborate for me there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Tio's a Clemson guy, of course. And ironically enough, a few years ago when we made our return to the tournament, we we actually beat Clemson in the opening round match, which was one of the great wins that I've ever experienced. But neither here nor there. Why why do you think? Let let's let's at least keep it here because you know in the area with with RU. Why do you think that they got hosed? It seems like the committee T.O., each year is inconsistent about what they value versus other years.
1: Uh, are we talking about Rutgers yeah. or are we talking about Clemson? Are you? Yeah. <laughs> are you? Well, you know what, to be honest with you, I, I thought, you know, you let so many Big Ten teams in anyway. It, what they want uh, is, is very confusing. And, and I can't speak on Rutgers as much as I can speak on Clemson. Uh, Clemson had good wins. But they had worse losses. Right. That's what that really comes Same down to. Same thing with Rutgers. If you look at that, yeah, they, They. to me, the committee this season, just because they chose to do so, looked at the losses as opposed to the big wins. A few years ago, it was the opposite direction. It was, we're going to look at the big wins as opposed to the big, uh, the big losses. Well, Where's the consistency? What exactly are we chasing after? And somebody, for the love of everything that is holy, talk to me about this net situation because I still can't figure it out. It's been in play pretty much all year. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. I think it's ridiculous. I've never heard of a coach go into a game and say, man, I hope we win this game by 10. It's a ridiculous system. It's a ridiculous system top to bottom
0: you're right about that and like I said the inconsistency is what's maddening there but look it's still going to be a great tournament it would be nice if our schools were in it but nevertheless the next couple of weeks are always a good time and you know Thursday and Friday the two best days are two of the best days on the sports calendar that we have and uh you know like I said I cannot wait for that the number one seeds let's start there I don't think that there's any exception as to the four that got the ones right now though from your vantage point which of the ones do you think has the easiest path to a final four
1: I think it's the number one overall seed, Alabama. Yeah, I me too. that one's pretty easy. Yeah, they move ahead. They get out. They get either Maryland or West Virginia. I think they actually get uh, Maryland because Kevin Willard just finds ways to get his guys to compete the right way, and he is so good at scheming things. But he's going to run into a bus on Bama in round two. Round three – that's upset central, that bracket in my mind anyway. I think they'll play, they'll play Furman in the Sweet 16. That Furman team's really good. Bob Ritchie does a terrific job of getting guys in the right position to score, and they play a Virginia team that has struggled to score at times. So I find that game wildly intriguing. That all being said, uh, Bama would have to play Furman, or they would have to play San Diego State, or would have to play a Virginia team that struggles to score. That's a bad mix for whoever Bama has to play. On the other side of that bracket, you can look at Creighton, you can look at Arizona, you can look at Baylor. I think they handle all three of those teams not easily, but I I think they do. Bama, they're going to get to the Final Four. I I think it's time for that to happen, and it certainly helps whenever you have the most talented player on the floor and whoever you play against. Brandon Miller is going to be that guy.
0: And it's funny, and I know that you like Furman, and that's your neck of the woods down there, too. And, and I certainly agree with you that that could be in a situation where they find themselves winning a couple of games here. The only, the only hiccup, though, with Alabama, you mentioned Brandon Miller, and everybody knows the off-the-court the off the stuff that's been happening with them, and it was an absolute tragedy. But the other thing, too, about Alabama is they're so young. And do you think, given these lofty expectations, I mean, are they more prone to a slip-up, let's say, just because of the youth that they have on that squad?
1: You do look at the youth, but I look at the guard spots, and those are old. You True. look at Quinterly, who who was up at uh, Villanova for a few years, but has been really good there at Alabama. You look at Mark Sears, who's been a big-time contributor, but he's an older player, for a transfer from Ohio. And then you have that super-talented five-star freshman and Brandon Miller. Not only that, Jaden Bradley was the number one front, uh, point guard in his class coming into college. He's been a huge pickup. He's been really good. But where it all comes from, in my mind, Those guards and those wings and those big, talented players that they have can guard out on the perimeter, and they can afford to make some mistakes. Why? The unsung hero of that team is Charles Bidiaco. His ability to protect the rim at such a high level has changed the way Alabama has been able to defend. Those guys are really, really good, not just because of the offensive side of the ball, because of the defensive side of the ball with what Bidiaco is able to provide around the rim.
0: So it's not just cliche, of course. Alabama, the number one overall seed, looks like that they have the easiest path here. We'll see what happens here once we get this thing underway. On the flip side, though, you talk about a one seed that maybe has, has a hard path. I, and look, I mean, I know I, the Big Ten is what I watch the closest, and this isn't sour grapes or anything like that. I just think Purdue is, is right to be picked off, and it might even happen in that first weekend, T.O., because I think in the second round, when they got, if they got to face those dudes from Memphis, look out. And I just think Purdue, that's a bad matchup.
1: It's a really bad matchup. And what has had success against Purdue uh, this season? Trapping them. Older teams. Pressing them. Exactly. Pressing them, trapping them, bigger physical guards uh, around the perimeter. And, And here's the thing. A lot of people think, well, those guards are going to turn it over. And that's going to happen on occasion. They're young players. Where it really gets them. Is the fact that they have to enter the ball into Zach Eadie and dribble further out, maybe four or five feet further out. Whenever a big man of Zach Eadie's size and caliber has to dribble one more time, it completely changes the way and his efficient or he, the way he has to play and his efficiency levels inside the three-point line. It's pretty incredible, really, the drop off whenever he has to dribble it three times instead of two. That's a big difference. That means he's shooting a hook shot from you know, 13 feet as opposed to six feet. That's a massive difference. And whenever you get out and pressure those guards out towards half court and they're big, strong, and physical, that's going to make it really difficult for that Purdue team to set up offense where they want to and get Zach Eady the ball where they want to. That's going to be a matchup to watch. I'm in total agreement with you there.
0: Talking with Terrence Oglesby here. March Madness underway in a couple of days with the NCAA tournament. There's nothing like it here on 98.7 ESPN. You were up here this weekend, and you got to see the uh, Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden, and, look, I've covered it several times over the years. There's nothing like it here. But Marquette was super impressive. We saw in the ACC, for example, Duke go and win that ACC tournament down there, and there were five seed in this tournament. My question to you is, are you a big proponent – that conference tournament success has any sort of, or, or conference tournament performance, I should say, has any sort of impact on the performance once the big dan gets, dance gets underway with any of these teams?
1: I, I don't know the percentages, but I can't imagine it's more than fifty percent of teams that win the national championship actually won their conference. So when you look at that, and whenever you're picking your bracket, you, you can use that. I, you know what? I'm one of those guys that like, for example, Xavier who I think is really, really good. I yeah. think they just ran out of gas. They played three games in three days, and Sule Boom was fifty. So, like, that's going to take, take a toll, right? Mm-hmm. There's the thing with the NCAA tournament. You're playing two games a weekend. You're playing either Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. You're going to have some time to recover. That's the reason I have Xavier going all the way to the Elite Eight. I think they're that kind of talented. I think they can score at that kind of level provided that they have a day in between to where they can rest their legs a little bit. Three games in three days for some of those guys on that roster made it really difficult. So in my mind, it doesn't really have all that much to do with it. I think you can look at how they're playing, but you have to keep it within context. If they lose, for example, Houston lost, I think that they can move forward and win a few games.
0: Houston, another dangerous team, too. You know, the Marcus Sasser situation bears watching. I guess they're not too overly concerned about it, right? But, I mean, that's a guy that they need to be healthy. But you know that they're as talented as anybody. And in that Midwest region, you know, there's a couple of tricky spots there. But, you know, the Houston Cougars, they could beat anybody on any given day.
1: Well, they certainly can. I haven't been in the whole thing. Wow. Okay. to be honest with you. I, I think Sasser, uh, that little groin injury, the fact that he was warming up prior to the championship game, I thought was – Not concerning, but I felt confident in the fact that they will be able to get him back at some point during the NCAA tournament. Here's the thing that scares me, though, if I'm Houston. They could potentially play Auburn in that second round, and nobody knows what they're going to get on a night-to-night basis from the Auburn Tigers and Bruce Pearl and his squad. They're not going to get points. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not going to get points, but at the same time, Katie Johnson, he can have one of those crazy what just games. games mm-hmm. In my mind, he run I've said this for two years now, Katie Johnson runs on Nightmare Fuel. He is crazy enough to think he's the best player on the floor no matter who he's playing against. And when you have that type of irrational confidence like he does, you can go off for 30 on a night that you probably shouldn't go off for 30 that scares me a little bit if Houston plays auburn outside of that i'm not really overly concerned in my mind there's another team lurking in there kent state playing indiana sincere carry for kent state's an absolute bucket i like this kent state team i had an opportunity to call the game for them on espn2 a few weeks ago them playing akron sincere carry went for a solid 35 points he is a stud not only that he's big and physical enough to keep up with the power fives I think it's entirely possible they win two games in the first round and make their way to the second. You know
0: what's interesting, T.O., in that Midwest, just in that one little section there, you mentioned Kent State being a bad matchup for Indiana. And Indiana. a lot of people think Indiana's got the chance of all the Big Ten teams to maybe go the deepest, just the presence of uh, Trace Jackson Davis and Scafino, the uh, the young guard there. But then you also look at that 12-5. I mean, a lot of people are jumping on the Drake bandwagon that they could knock off Miami because Miami's banged up a little here.
1: Yeah, I think it all depends on Norchad O'Meara. I think he's a big part of it. But at the same time, if you look at that Miami team, that's one of the hottest scoring Miami teams. When they get hot, they're impossible to guard. Isaiah Wong's one of the best one-on-one scorers in all of college basketball. And let's be honest, Dan. You know this. I know this. The world knows this. They paid a lot of money for that (laughs) Miami team. (laughs) If they go out in the first round, somebody's not going to be happy. So I, I think Miami's going to win that first-round game. I do think they'll run into a buzzsaw and get surprised in the second. But uh, I, I just – there's a lot of people. There's too many people on Drake at this point. That's what scares me more than anything.
0: T.O. channeling his inner Jim Bayheim there with the Miami comment about the uh buying players. But you're right. You're absolutely right. We could laugh about that. Uh, UConn, <laughs> you saw them up close here. You know how intense Danny Hurley is on that sidelines. You know how dangerous this team could be. They got that matchup in the first round. I mean, you, you, you tell that selection committee you're sitting there and they're just giggling at the prospect of having UConn play Iona with the two local products here and Rick Pitino, of course, which may or may not be his final game with the Gales. But Iona, it's kind of a tricky matchup for UConn, don't you think?
1: You know what? I had the opportunity to call a Sienna-Iona game earlier this year. And while Iona is talented, they're not as – Big and physical as UConn. That's the big thing about UConn. I mean, it, they're going to be able to dominate the boards. They're going to be able to move the ball a little bit. Jordan Hawkins is an absolute stud. Uh, Iona does have guys. Osborne uh, Osborne Shima, he's a good shooter. He's seven foot one. He can step out. But Nelly Junior Joseph is only about six seven, and at best he could be considered a miniature Adamasinogo. So I, I think that the front court of UConn ultimately going to overwhelm them. My concern is in that second round when they play VCU and they really get up and pressure the ball. Tristan Newton's been good. He hasn't been great. Hassan Diarra's been in that same boat. Is the backcourt of UConn going to be able to hold them up long enough to where the bigs can finally take hope? I think it's entirely possible. I really like this UConn team. They're very good. It's just a matter of how how much can their backcourt really hold them up, and are they going to be consistent enough going all the way to the tournament? In my mind, UConn has played well over the last – X amount of games. They've been really good. They went through their slump at the end of January. That's when you want to do it. You want to fix your things, and then you want to start creeping towards your best basketball in March. UConn has done that. It's entirely possible UConn could be in Houston.
0: I, I agree with you. I was just going to say I'm leaning towards taking them to get out of the West, as a matter of fact, just because Kansas, and who knows about the Bill Self thing. I know he's going to be back on the sidelines, but you know that would be a stumbling block, certainly, you know, in that Sweet Sixteen matchup, if they get there. The other thing, too, you mentioned the VCU thing. St. Mary's. St. Mary's a five. real okay with that?
1: Yeah, uh, you, you know what? Yes, because of how they played in the in the West Coast. They, they beat Gonzaga. They had some really good wins. They've been good for very long. I think that's that's a big portion of that. In a, in they they were eleventh. They were high in the metrics and. Good. I'm still trying to figure out the metrics, but yeah, I, I know that 26 and seven, 14 and two, give it to them. I'm fine with it.
0: Give me a mid-major or a double-digit team that you think can make a deep run here.
1: Uh, I gave you one. That's you gave me Furman. I'm give you. Yeah, I gave you Furman. Gave you Kent State. Another team that could win a game is Charleston. The, the ironic part about that whole thing is Charleston wins and Furman's winning. Yep. They play each other, and they're only about a three-hour drive apart. Because, like you said, they are my, in my neck of the woods. But Charleston goes ten deep and they play really fast, and they're all really old. That's a really intriguing bunch. Three Division II transfers, one NAIA transfer, and one of the Division II transfers is so old, he was, ta- he was teaching anatomy and physiology-, physiology at West Lib. I can't even spell those classes. <laughs> so you tell me how good that guy is and how smart he has to be. And throw one more thing in, Dalton Bowling. that's who I'm talking about. He played with an eye patch his sophomore and junior years. If that's not awesome, I don't know what's awesome. If they don't find a picture of that on CBS, I'll be disappointed.
0: The storylines you get in this tournament, you're going to find out about each and every one of these teams. People are uncovering them now, and that's the smaller schools, the mid-majors. That's what makes this tournament great. Just, you know, the human stories with some of these kids and coaches and stuff, and that's what's fantastic here. Let me end on this one. We talked about Patino. I mean, it seems like it's common knowledge that he's going to leave Iona one way or the other at the end of this season and you know depends on where he's going to go whether that's st john's georgetown texas who knows question about st john's though since this is you know the local school here in, in in the new york area do you think, and I know that it's been a long time, and I know that the landscape of college athletics has changed, but can St. John's T.O. realistically get back to the glory days that they once were at? Let's say even if it is a Rick Patino that's the coach, or is it just too much that they have to overcome now in this NIL world when you talk about even facilities and so on and so forth? Is that possible for the Johnnies, you think?
1: It all depends on who's running the ship. I, I, I mean, let's call that what it is, and I, I think the relationship with the Garden needs to be better. St. John's needs to play more games there. I mean, that's a huge selling point, but I'm gonna be honest with you and if 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 I don't know any information that you don't know that, that mm-hmm. you don't know, if Patino goes there, uh, I, I think automatically it gets them heading in the right direction. I, look, he, he's one of the three greatest basketball coaches on the floor that's ever existed. Let's just call a spade a spade. He is that type of good. He fits in well, he knows what he's doing, he's been there, done that, and let's just call this too. He's getting a little long in the tooth. guy's old. Yeah. He keeps moving forward, and you're setting the next guy up for success if you hire Rick Pitino right away. I think that's another big part of this.
0: Interesting. And, and look, you know, it'll add a lot of buzz. It'll add a lot more flair. Not to say – you know, and it's not that Mike Anderson did a bad job. I mean, he had four winning seasons, but, you know, no postseason. The problem is, though, Mike Anderson wasn't a Northeast guy, T.O., and that's tough to recruit this area.
1: No, that was a really strange fit, uh, truth be told. I, I understand what they were trying to do. They wanted to bring a fast, fast-paced fast style of play, some energy to uh, you know, a program that, that didn't necessarily have a lot. I understood what they were trying to do. That all being said, uh, it, it just this is a St. John's program that hasn't had a tournament win since, what, 2000?
0: Long time. Mike Jarvis. Yeah, it,
1: it's, it's, yeah, so, I mean, we're looking at, what is it 2000? I'm trying to think how old I was in 2000. You know how old I was in 2000? How old? I was 12. I was 12. What are we doing See, T.O.'s a young guy. I'm still a young guy, yeah. Fairly, fairly. But I was 12 years old in 2000, so you guys tell that to me. I hope St. John's – I feel like college basketball will be better with a good St. John's because it'll bring the people of New York to more college basketball games. I hope that's the case. So, if they can get it going, if they get Patino, uh, sky's the limit. Yeah. Just three,
0: they've only made three NCAA tournament appearances in the last 20 years. So you're right. I mean, it is a long time in the making here. And um, last thing before I let you go here, just another blue blood I want to throw out there. Okay, Duke has found themselves here under John Shire. A little bit of a slow start to the season. And, of course, the transition, you talk about filling giant shoes. That's what he had to do. They run through the ACC. They win the tournament there in Greensboro. What do you think the ceiling is for this Duke team?
1: Final four. Wow. And the reason I say that, I think John Shire's done a terrific job. Why? Because he's made adjustments throughout the season. Uh, they started out, they were a little bit banged up. Injuries were a little bit prevalent. Whitehead was in and out of the lineup. Lively started a little bit late. Their growing pains took a little bit too long. I think that's one of the biggest parts. Uh When it comes to some of these younger players and he was dealing with a recruiting class that while they were the number one recruiting class in the country, it was a bit of a down class as a whole. So he had to find ways to plug and play, get these guys to play within their roles and to play well. I think that's what he has excelled at. You look at some of the things he's done on the floor. He's tried to throw some different traps. They've relied on different defenses just to kind of throw off the rhythm of the game. Those are things coach K never did. So I like what he's done. I think the game turned for him whenever he decided to let Tyrese Proctor bring the ball up the floor and Jeremy Roach attack on the second side. That changed the way they operated, and guys are finally starting to get comfortable. They're they're happy in their roles. They're scoring. They're defending this Duke team as well as they're playing definitely could make it all the way to Houston for a second straight season. Think about that.
0: Unbelievable. Right. And then, of course, we know what happened last year with the UNC. And, you know, well, UNC's a whole other story. We could sit here and do an hour on them for crying out loud as to how that whole thing unfolded. My goodness. If there was a team ever set up to run it back and didn't, you know They're going to be writing books yeah. about this UNC team, for crying out loud. T.O., thanks for a couple of minutes tonight, my friend. Can't wait for this week. Next couple of weeks, it's going to be fantastic. And check out T.O. on the field of 68. Those guys do an unbelievable job covering college basketball. I am a daily, daily viewer of those guys. Thanks a lot, as always, Bud. We'll talk soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Dan.
0: All right. There is Terrence Oglesby, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. You want to talk a little college hoops, little brackets? Let's do that. And when we come back. You're going to have to hear me vent. You're going to hear the anger come out. And it's going to be directed towards the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee as to why Scarlet Knights don't get a bid. Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Twitter, a couple of the other, real quick, I I know I mentioned it to T.O., but a couple of the other seeds that I didn't quite understand – you know, Florida Atlantic getting a nine. And I understand that they come from a mid-major conference. But Florida Atlantic, you know, they won 31 games, right? And the problem with them being a nine is that you stick them in that 8-9 game, which is always a coin flip. And they're going to have to go up against, like, Florida Atlantic to me is good enough to win a game in this tournament. Like, they're good. But they put them up against Memphis in that 8-9. And Memphis, oh my, like, Penny's got some dudes on that team. Like we were just talking about. I think Memphis could beat Purdue in the second round and knock out a one seed. So that's like not doing Florida Atlantic any favors. You know what I mean? It's just some of these. But that's the committee. There's no rhyme or reason with some of the stuff that they come up with here. And, you know, the inconsistencies, again, is what had me screaming yesterday and the fact that Rutgers got left out because, look, like I've said many times, you know, you, you do this stuff and you're in the business. You're supposed to be objective. You're supposed to, you know, call it right down the middle. And I think that I do that. But there's, And I've kind of left my, you know, fandom at the door as opposed to what it was when I was growing up. Right? I mean, obviously, you know, I want to see the Jets do well. I do the games and everything. So I'm always, you know, pulling for them because it's good for myself aside from the fact that I grew up a fan. But, like, the Rutgers stuff, that's something I genuinely have, in, you know, I, I'm I'm biased about. So I went to school fan my whole life. Whatever. And I love the basketball program. And what Coach Peichel's done, it's been outstanding. Given, you know, where they were for so many years, they were completely irrelevant. You know, they were a laughing stock on the court, off the court. And you kind of were like, you know, afraid to admit that, you know, you were a fan and you went to the school and all these things. But so what he's done has been remarkable. Going to the tournament two straight years, it would have been three in a row, if not for the COVID cancellation, because they were going to go that year. And I remember Selection Sunday last year, I was legit nervous. Like, I didn't think that it was a lock that they would get in. I mean, I, you know, biased, I hope they would have got in, but I was nervous and it was a coin flip more than anything else. And then they got the bid, they sent him to Dayton and they lost that heartbreaker in overtime to Notre Dame, which took me like two days to get over. Yesterday, not even close. Not even close. Like, I, the whole weekend, I did not have any doubt that they were getting in. Not any, like, it was the most stress-free, like, okay, just get to 6 o'clock on Sunday. I can't wait to see. I'm anxious to see where they're going to go and who they're going to play. And the only dilemma was going to be, were they going to be in safe or were they going to be putting Dayton again to have to play one of those first four matchups as one of the last four teams in? Whatever. Beggars can't be choosers. I know they slumped a little bit down the stretch. So if they went to Dayton, I totally understood it. So like I said, no stress whatsoever. Not even a concern. Not to mention the fact that pretty much all throughout conference tournament week, with all the other conferences around the country, there were no what we would like to call bid stealers. And what I mean by bid stealers, teams that entering the conference tournament, their resume was not good enough to get an at-large bid, but yet they somehow got hot that week won a conference tournament, which means they would have to get the automatic bid, which takes an at-large bid away from some team and, you know, arguably Rutgers or, you know, one of the at-large ones. Like Ohio State, for example, in the Big Ten. Ohio State was terrible this year. They were a sub-500 team. They made it all the way to the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament. They got to Saturday. They were two wins away from stealing a bid because they wouldn't have made the tournament, and they didn't make the tournament, obviously. But they were a couple of wins away. So, like I said, there wasn't even any drama with other conference tournaments. I was even more confident. And then the first thing that I started to get, a little bit of trepidation. Because I can't remember the order in which the the regions were revealed. I was actually doing the Ranger game at that time, believe it or not. So, I got one eye on the Ranger game and one eye on the brackets. So, I remember they were doing them in, and they got to the Midwest. And then Penn State comes up. And I saw a number 10 next to Penn State. And I said, "Uh uh-oh. Because what that told me is that they did not take into account what Penn State did during the conference tournament with the Big Ten. Penn State made it all the way to the Big Ten championship game yesterday, and they lost to Purdue. Close game. So the fact that they didn't boost Penn State up a little bit there with the ranking, and they still got a double-digit seed. I said, uh-oh, that means they didn't watch what Rutgers did this week in the conference tournament because even though they only won one game, they still looked like their normal selves for the first time in, like, six weeks. For the first time since Malat Mag went down with an injury in the middle of February, I said, this is finally the Rutgers team that we were used to seeing. You know, they kicked Michigan's tail. They held them to, like, 50 points. It was a vintage Rutgers performance, and then they played Purdue – you know, pretty damn tough, and that game could have went either way. They had a 10-point lead in the first half. And remember, they beat Purdue on the road this year, a one seed. So you thought that that would have righted the ship. It didn't. You know, and, and then you look at all these reasons why. It's like, well, how do, how come they didn't get in? When they... they lost the game back in December to Ohio State on the road. And like I said, Ohio State didn't have a good season. We didn't know this at the time in December, but... They lost that game because of an officiating blunder at the very end. Guys stepped out of bounds that the referees missed completely. They didn't go back and review it. This was like literally on the final play of the game. Game-winning shot, walk-off shot, buzzer beater. So much, and it's not sour grapes because the next day, the Big Ten Conference actually put out a statement saying that the referees screwed up and Rutgers should have won the game. Now, I don't know why they can't just go back and then give the right team the win, but they didn't. But if that game went the way it should have, you're talking about a 20-win basketball team because they finished with 19. So then you're 20-13, and 11-9, and 9, in arguably one of the toughest conferences in the country. But the committee basically told you that they felt the few bad losses that they had outweighed the good wins. You know, they lost the game to Temple, who wasn't any good and just fired their coach earlier today, as a matter of fact, Aaron McKee, the former player. They lost to Temple at Mohegan Sun on a neutral court back in November without two of their best players in Mulcahy and, and uh, Caleb McConnell. Again, the committee says they take into account injuries. They only do it when it's convenient for them. But if you don't blow a 10-point lead to the last-place team in Minnesota two weeks ago with a minute left in the game, that was also probably a nail in their coffin. And and, and it turns out probably it was to the committee. You know, that's one you want to put in your pocket. But they were hung up on the bad losses. Are you hung up on the bad losses more or the strength of schedule? Because you heard that, too, that they didn't schedule that great out of conference because – you're telling then some schools, no matter what conference you're in, it doesn't matter who you play, it doesn't matter who you schedule, as long as you win the game. You know, so play a bunch of nobodies, play a bunch of teams from community college, as long as you win the game, that's all that matters. Like, I'll take Providence, for example. I'll take Providence, okay? Providence played 11 Quadrant 4 non-conference games. Qu- Providence's best win in the non-conference was against Ryder. Ryder in Southern New Jersey. Is that a big-time win? Pittsburgh, who was in a god-awful ACC this year, and the ACC was the dregs. Pittsburgh had three losses this year by 25 or more points. Blowouts. That sound like an NCAA tournament team to you? Nevada from the Mountain West. And look, I like the Mountain West. I watch the games late Friday night. It's good basketball. They got some good teams. Okay, but Nevada lost four out of six games to end the year. So what was the excuse putting them in? Rutgers had road wins at Purdue, which was a number one seed, and they only lost two games at home all season, and they were the first team to beat them back in January. They beat Purdue the night of the DeMar Hamlin thing, believe it or not. That game was winding down. In the meantime, on the football, my phone's lighting up like, you see what's happening in this football game? I said, no, because I'm watching the basketball game. They won at Northwestern, who was the second-place team in the Big Ten, and they won at Penn State, which ended up going to the Big Ten championship game. The two teams that played for the Big Ten title, Rutgers was 3-1 and one against this year. Swept Penn State. But because they lost a couple of shady games in the quad four, that's going to outweigh all the good wins they had? Please. Committee, you play it yourself. You play it yourself. 800-919-3776. We get back to the calls. And we'll talk about the Knicks. Some good news. Big win for them last night. Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN.
1: Those are facts!
0: This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is from uh, Woj and Tim McMahon of uh, ESPN. John Moran, of course, who uh, is away from the team after that... um, you know, episode there with the the gun at the strip club and so on and so forth. Uh, John Moran has entered a counseling program in Florida, and there remains no timetable for his return to active play. So, look, you know it was going to be more than two games. I, I, I think the two games at first was extremely arbitrary. It really didn't make that much sense, to be quite honest with you. And now, certainly, it's going to be more. But to what extent? Don't know. And I think that, you know, Taylor Jenkins, the coach of the Grizzlies, kind of said it best when he said it would be insulting to kind of sit here and give an exact timetable, which I agree with wholeheartedly. You know, if you really want to get to the root of the problem and you have genuine care about the individual and you want to make sure that, you know, nothing bad ever happens to him or to those in his company, there can't be a timetable on this. Everybody works at their own pace, right? Let's go to the phones. Say hi to Eric in New York up next on 98.7. Eric, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Dan? What's up, Eric? How's things?
2: Good, good. I want to talk to you a little bit about Big Ten basketball. You trailed off talking about Penn State, I'm a Penn State alum. Love them this year. Picked up towards the tail end of the season, a little upsetting in the beginning, nervous about the rebound to go into the tournament, but we gotta talk Rutgers for a second. Eleven and nine in the Big Ten. Talking about a historically bad Big Ten season overall. You got uh Purdue, you got Indiana. Really all you got in the Big Ten. I mean, Penn State got frisky at the end, but they're nothing special. They're gonna get whomped by Texas a&m I know Texas AM had a bad go. Against Alabama and the SEC championship, but still a hell of a team. Athletics—they're going to kill us on the glass. It's going to defend the crap out of us. We're not going to be able to breathe with the ball. But Rutgers, eleven and nine in the Big Ten. You
0: think they got robbed? Wait a sec. The, if the Big Ten is so bad, Eric, why did they get eight teams in? What what conference got what terrible. conference got more teams in than the Big Ten? Tell me.
2: That's not what I'm wondering. I'm talking about. What are the Big Ten
0: teams ranked? You got Purdue, Indiana as high seeds. Everyone else is what eight but, to twelve seeds. Nothing special. But, but don't get caught about the rankings, Eric. The reason is is because they're beating the crap out of each other all year. And and the the argument that I have about that, like you look at some of these other teams. Like for, let's take the Mountain West for example. And I, I'm I'm salty about the Mountain West because of a team like Nevada that got in as an at-large bid. If a team like Nevada or any of those other clubs in the Mountain West that got bids. You know, had to play in the Big Ten and play 20 regular season games against those teams night in and night out. Do You think they have as good of a record as they have? No, but look, damn, that's college basketball. Well, it's not that it's college you basketball. Bad, you have these teams in these. It's not that it's college no-name basketball, Eric. Well, right, se. the no name conferences, but that means, and all conferences aren't created equal. That's, I mean, that's part of the territory. That's why these bids are kind of inconsistent a little bit because you're taking into account that, okay, one team, their record might be a little inferior to some team from a lesser league, but that's a direct byproduct of the fact that they're playing better competition all year, is it not? No, I do agree with you there, but the way you
2: have to look at it is this. You got the Big Ten, okay, they might have a good amount of teams in the tournament this year, but when you look at each individual team, you look at Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa, nothing special at all this year. Michigan's turning down their bid to the NIT tournament.
0: Well, Michigan wasn't a tournament team this year. But, I mean, you had – You know what I will say, Eric, though? Here's where we can have a conversation about the Big Ten and maybe the disappointing part of it all, and I thank you for the phone call. It's what happens in the tournament. That's that's the hiccup about the Big Ten. And because this happened last year, too, and in previous years. The last team to win a national championship out of the Big Ten was – Tom Izzo's national championship with Michigan State. And when the hell – remember, Mateen Cleaves was on that team. That, I don't remember what year that was. was. like 2000 or 2001. It's been forever. You know, so for whatever reason, like last year, Big Ten got the most teams in the tournament off the top of my head. I'm just trying to remember. And none of them really went all that far. You know what I mean? Like they get picked – like they have a horrible record in the tournament. So what is that a byproduct of? I don't think that you could say the league is overrated – you know, maybe it's the case that by the time you get to the tournament they have like nothing left in the tank cuz they're just it's it, it's a grind, it's a battle for 3 months out of the year when you're playing this schedule. I mean, 20 20 league games, that's a lot, man. 20 games. So I don't know if it's going to change at all. Like, look, I'll be quite honest with you. If you're asking me right now, do I have more confidence in, let's say, the few teams from the Big East to make a deep run into the tournament, as opposed to, let's say, the top teams out of the Big Ten. I actually think that the Big East teams are better equipped to go deeper into the tournament. You know, T.O. was talking about Xavier, the Marquettes of the world, UConn. Those three clubs can make a deep run. Now, I like Indiana a lot. Yeah, Michigan State, 2,000. Remember, Michigan went to a national championship game under John line, Final Four, all that stuff. That wasn't all that long ago, but... Other than that, it's been few and far between. You know, Purdue's a one- I don't think Purdue's built well for this tournament. I just don't. Like I said, it wouldn't shock me if they lose in the first weekend. Actually, I'm going to pick Memphis to beat them in the second round. I think the team that's actually best equipped to go far out of the Big Ten is Indiana. But now T.O.'s got me thinking about that Kent State matchup in the first round, and now I'm all, like, doubting things. Yeah, you know, you can take shots at the league. Look, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you otherwise. Bottom line is Rutgers should have got a bid. Should have got a bid. They got hosed. You know, the Joe Lenardis of the world, all these bracketologists guys, when they got 67 of the 68 teams right and the one they got wrong was Rutgers because the the, the committee had their head up there. you-know-what. It says a lot. And damn it, yeah, I'm biased. 800-919-3776. Talk some Knicks when we come back as well. Dan Gross' show, 9870 ESPN is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Anyway, good win for the Knickerbockers last night, I would say. Um, Things starting to get a little dicey before, you know, especially the way that one unfolded against the Clippers on Saturday afternoon in so many facets. You know, you saw Kawhi Leonard turn into Kawhi Leonard, turn into the Terminator, and he was just dominating on both ends of the floor. Julius Randle was struggling again and then Julius Randle kind of snapped and it was kind of rewind to last year, Julius Randle, when he was just a mess, you know, on the court sulking off the court and, you know, snapping and temperamental. It's like his head was never in the game. It seemed like, and you saw that on Saturday where he got a little chippy with Plumlee and you saw the frustration boil over because he wasn't hitting his shots and then he threw the elbow at Plumlee and while the refs were looking at it, you know, his teammates and coaches are trying to calm him down and. He's mouthing with those guys, and it's just, it was not a bad look or not a good look. And you started to get concerned a little bit, at least I did, that, uh oh, what's happening here? Right? Suck. And really, you had to start to maybe consider the fact that, well, you might be looking at an 0 4 West Coast trip because Brunson was injured, and you saw how much they missed this guy. Right? I, I mean, not been saying it all year. Jalen Brunson's the most important player on this team. I'm not saying he's the best player, he's the most important player on this team. And his absence was really starting to affect the likes of a Julius Randle. Because you think it's any coincidence that Randle's having the great season that he's having because you have somebody like Brunson in the fold. So what they did last night, bouncing back, once again, no Brunson. And I know the Lakers didn't have a guy who was pretty good, too. I forgot his name. But... The fact that Randall came out against his former team, what did he have, like 25 points in the first half? I mean, insane, right? RJ had himself a damn good game last night. I like to call it the Josh Hart experience. You got everything out of 32 minutes. Josh Hart affects a game taking just four shots as much as anybody you're going to see. But that's what he's all about. That's what he's for. How about the two big free throws he made? If Josh Hart did nothing last night except make those two free throws at the end of the game, you know what? Job well done, sir. That's what you're here for. So everybody contributed, and the fact that they just stopped the bleeding was enormous. I mean, that was a huge win last night. Because all of a sudden, like, the Nets are trying to fool people into making you think that they're really good now with a couple of wins that they had. How about the win in Denver? You know, teams don't win in Denver. Road teams don't win in Denver. Nets dead. Good for them. So they're essentially locked for that fifth spot in the Eastern Conference. And I look, I give the Nets credit. I do. You know, I know I like to take shots at them here and there, but they've done a nice job since breaking up this team. They really have. I still think the Knicks are better. I still think the Knicks will finish ahead of them. But you can't just assume it. You got to go out there and take it. And now you're going into Portland, and Portland – You know, maybe you're getting them at the right time, right? They've lost seven out of their last ten games. They're scuffling a little bit. You know, it was on the road, so now they're coming back home. Maybe that's going to give them a little bit of confidence and everything, but, you know, Dame sat out, too, with some calf tightness in the last game. Now, you don't want to sit here and wish injury on anybody, but if Lillard isn't going to play tomorrow for the Portland Trail Blazers, if you're a Nick fan, yeah, you'll take that. You'll take that 100%. So what about the bounce back game from Julius Randle? Here was Tom Thibodeau.
1: You gotta be careful when you make judgments based on one game. He's got seventy games into the season, so sometimes we you know, like we're we're quick to judge and you're not looking at it in totality. You're like, okay, what is transpired over 70 games and you know i try not to overreact to anything in one game like which way are we trending so i always look three five ten right and what what's going on in in those sequences and so if someone can miss shots that's part of the game don't let it take away from anything else and he, hey look we're all human like you could have anyone could have a bad day if you have a bad day the next day you got to bounce it back and have a great day so i, I thought i thought he did that and i thought it was great
0: here the other thing about randall specifically now look last night Completely wrote a new script. But while he was going through that three-game struggle, the question I think would have been a valid one to sit here and examine, is it time to give him a day off? Is it time to give him a rest? Because say what you want about Randall, he plays every friggin' day. Every game. And in this load management world that we live in, in the NBA, it's refreshing to see somebody like Randall go out there and play night in and night out. And it's refreshing to see a coach like Tom Thibodeau. Not fall into the trap of, oh, you know, you got to rest, guys. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't matter you, or it doesn't mean you have to as well. And I know that people are maybe adamant about the fact that maybe Tibbs should start to do that. Hey, professional sportsman, All right? I don't care what other players are doing. Because there's some that are doing it the right way, playing every single game and still have a lot left in the tank. That's what you're getting paid some of these guys $20, 30000000 million a year for, to make sure you're an athlete in tip-top shape. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you're the Knicks, you know what? You got how many games left here? 12 stretch drive begins now make it happen 800-919-3776 we come back we'll reset talk about our big story of the night here that of course the jet quarterback watch will he or won't he yay or nay Dan Grosser show for another 60 right here on 98.7 ESPN this is the Dan Grosser show on 98.7 ESPN <laughs>